All right, it's good to see you guys tonight. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing better. You know, it's funny. I, before we get started, I just have to say this. I was talking to uh, a young man last night. He's 15. And, I, you know, I have to acknowledge, like, I'm a professional trash talker. If you haven't learned that about me, I just am, especially when it comes to football. And it's just, this young man's 15 years old, and, um, and you know, he, he likes to give it right back to me, which I love. You know, like, I love that kind of camaraderie between guys. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, look, I just, I just want to make an observation. Leo, this is for you, too. My team has won the same number of playoff games in eight days as your team has in the past 20 years. Like, I'm just saying. I'm just making an observation, you know. So, Andrew, it's good to see you tonight. So, um, I'm going to share just, like, just kind of a silly, speaking of football, a little silly hypothetical scenario. But, but in the end, when I asked the question, I actually, like I'm being serious with the question. Okay, you guys with me? So, before I start, are there any like diehard New England Patriots fans in the house tonight? Please. All right, God has, has shown his grace on us, yes. So, I want you to imagine that, that I have a friend or two, or maybe even three, that are just diehard Patriot fans, right? And so we all know how Patriot fans can be, just obnoxious, trash talkers. They justify all of the, you know, underhanded uh, methods of, you know, spying on teams and letting air out of footballs and, and all that kind of stuff. But just imagine that I came to you and I said, listen, I just need a personal favor. I need you to get to know these couple of people and like not just get to know about but like invite them into your home or your apartment and and like be kind to them figure out what's going on in their lives you know and i and i can tell you like it's going to be a little challenging for you because we all know how patriot fans can be some of them anyway you know they can be really trying and they're going to try to convince you to you know be on their side and to root for the patriots tomorrow against the steelers and you know, jump on the Patriots bandwagon. But here's the thing, like, I love these people. So as your pastor, my, my request to you is, would you do that for me? Silly scenario, but serious question, right? So, show of hands, who would actually do that for me as your pastor? You would actually get to know and love on some Patriot fans just because I asked you to, knowing that it might be inconvenient. Good, good number of, of people there. I'm going to be praying for the rest of you. I'll come back to our, our silly scenario in just a moment. Um, uh, but if you are new with us, we started a, a new series last week called uh, The King's Speech. There we go. So we just started a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. So you can flip there if you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did. Um, and what's interesting, for those of you that were not here last week, so... Chapters 5, 6, and 7, this is Jesus. He's been out uh, preaching the gospel. He's been healing people. And this is the longest uh, recorded teaching of Christ in the scriptures. And so I, I told you guys last week, I read it. I timed it, and I read it out loud just at a normal pace, as I would if I were just standing here speaking to you. And it took all of 10 minutes and 55 seconds. That's it. His, his longest recorded message and uh, the end of chapter 7 says, The result was when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed 
and his teaching. Um, so let's pray. Be a good time to pray. Father God, I, I pray that we would be amazed at your teaching. That even if we just sat and read it without any commentary, that the impact that, the, that it had on the hearers back then would be the same impact it would have on our hearts, which would be that we would just be amazed at your teaching. For your wisdom is limitless and unending and supreme. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us how to be salt and light in a dark world that needs the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in chapter 5. We're going to just cover verses 13 through 16 here tonight. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So in this just brief little snippet of the king's speech, Jesus tells his disciples, but not just the disciples seated near him, because you might remember um, there were multitudes gathered around, so he's speaking primarily to those seated close to him, his followers. He just called his first disciples. He sees the multitude coming to be healed. So he goes up on a mountain, he sits down, his closest followers are there, and the multitudes are listening in, and he's speaking to his close followers, but he's speaking also, obviously, to you and me today. He says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so he encourages us to be salt that has flavor and to be a light that shines. In other words, he's telling us to do what we were created to do, to serve the function that we were created as citizens of the king's kingdom to serve. And so what's interesting is that he kind of commands or encourages us to be salt that has flavor and a light that shines, as if we might be somehow tempted to be flavorless or to hide our light. So that begs the question, well, why would we ever like, not want to be flavorful or shining our light? Well, if you just go back a little bit, in case you were not here with us last week, Jesus started with what are called the Beatitudes. It's Latin for, for uh, that word blessed is translated to be happy or uh, to, be, to have a deep contentment, right? And so he, he teaches things that are just profound, he says that we're to be gentle, that we're to be righteous, that we're to show mercy to other people, that we're to be peacemakers. That if you do those things, that you will be supremely happy. That's how citizens of God's kingdom are to treat others. But then he ends that section with this, verse 11. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So now we can see, I think, the connection between being persecuted and being salt and light. Like, you are the salt of the earth, verse 13. That's not a new, he didn't, he didn't just start teaching right there. This is a continuation of his previous teaching. So saying, listen, 
You're going to do all these things. You're going to be a peacemaker. You're going to be poor in spirit. You're going to be gentle, and you're going to show mercy towards others. And as a result, people are going to be out to get you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to insult you, tell lies about you. Well, then I think our natural temptation would be, well, then I'm not going to do those things anymore. Right? It's like the, the little kid, right? He walks to school and he gets to the end of the street and he turns the corner and, and he bumps into a big bully who threatens him, maybe even pushes him, steals his lunch money. How long before that little kid finds another way to school? Right? And, and so the same is with us. We, we guard against getting hurt. So Jesus says, listen, you're going to be all of these things, peaceful, merciful, gentle, pure in heart. And in response, the world is going to retaliate against you. So be salt that has flavor and be a light that shines. Don't hide what you're doing. Don't hide your light. Don't find an alternate route. Do not let persecution stop you from showing the character of a citizen of God's kingdom. So what's the deal with salt and light anyway? Because i got to say, when I read that, you're the salt of the earth. I think kind of, you know, grindy, grainy, you know, dirty stuff. And then I think about salt. Like salt in today's world, if someone called me salt, I don't know that I'd really appreciate that. Because it's, it's readily available. It's cheap. You can get it for free. Right? I mean, restaurants charge for everything. You want a slice of cheese on your burger, you've got to pay extra for that slice of cheese. But salt, like, it's just sitting there on the table. You can have as much as you want. They'll even give you little packets to take home with you. Salt doesn't really have any monetary value in our world today. However, it does have a functional value that is uh, invaluable, right? Because we need dietary salt just to survive. We've got to have it in our diet. If we don't, we will not make it. And in Jesus' day, it had tremendous value for a couple of reasons. First, because, obviously, as Jesus said, it gives flavor, right? But it was also a preservative. If you go back to that time, there was no electricity. You couldn't go buy your steak at HEB and come home and put it in the freezer or refrigerator. So you, had to, you would rub salt deep into the meat, and that would preserve it. In fact, you could rub salt so deep into the meat and wrap it that you could ship it and it'd still be good whenever it arrived. So, so salt is a, uh, it's a flavorful preservative. That was its purpose. That was its function. If you didn't use salt back then, your meat would turn brown and then gray and then green and it'd smell really bad. Can you tell I've ruined a couple of steaks in my lifetime? Yeah. Okay, so he's saying you are salt, so serve your purpose. And then light actually has a couple of purposes. And what I think is really cool about this is there's four verses, and how many metaphors did Jesus use in those four verses? Anyone count? Four. Who said that? Ross, thank you. Four metaphors in four verses. 
you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And then he uses two more metaphors to explain about being the light of the world. Look, uh, the end of verse 14, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. What's that about? Well, again, back in those days, there was no electricity. You have travelers walking by night. They need a place to stay. People have their little lamps going. Well, it's easy to see a city on a hill. You can't hide it. So it's a place of safety, a place of refuge. People could go there when they're traveling. And then he says, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure. But they put it up on the lamp. So light cast away darkness. So those are the functions of light. So if Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world, that tells us two things about the world we live in today. If we're the salt, that's because the world is rotting. If we are the light of the world, that's because the world that we live in is dark. If the world were not rotting and dark, we would not need to be salt and light. I don't mean to sound like depressing or discouraging, but we do live in a rotting, dark world, and that has not changed. Like if you think about, we, we as humans are kind of arrogant and proud. We think we're so smart. We think we've advanced with technology. We put a man on the moon. We, could, we have all the information we want at our fingertips. Like we, we think that we have advanced, but the truth is we have not advanced at all. The human race is still wicked and evil, which is why this world is dark and rotting. Follow with me here. In Genesis 1, God created man. In Genesis 3, man sins. In Genesis 4, man murders his own brother. In Genesis 6, we're six chapters into the scriptures, and God decides he's going to save Noah and a couple of his family and wipe out the rest because of man's wickedness. He essentially starts over again. But man is so evil and corrupt and sinful and broken that by Genesis 19, God rains fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you just keep reading through the scriptures, the sinfulness of man is on full display for the world to see. We are why the world is dark and rotting. Jeremiah says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And it is still today. That's one thing that evolutionists cannot explain or get around. If we have evolved as a species, why do we continue to rape and murder and steal and lie and cheat? Doesn't sound like we've made much progress in, to me. In fact, if you are questioning, well, Pastor West, really, is the world that bad? Is it that dark of a place? Yes. Parents, if you are parents here, you know this because you live it every day. If you have little kids, how far would you let them go outside your front door without watching them? Or if you're at the mall, would you just let them go wandering? Out of sight? At the grocery store? No. At least I would hope not. 
And it's not just because we don't want them to get lost. The truth is we don't want them to be found by someone who would take them and do horrible things and we would never see them again. If you're not parents yet and you become parents, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. That kind of, you know, you just have to be that cautious because we lived in a, we live in a dark, broken, sin-stained world. That is why when we are merciful and we're peacemakers and we're pure in heart, the world retaliates against us. The world is, is dark and it is rotting and it is just as depraved as when God flooded it back in Genesis. The only reason why he hasn't done it again, he just wiped us out, is because he's faithful to his promises. He is a faithful God. Now we know that the king will return one day to make all things right. To wipe out evil, sin, wickedness, human depravity. So the question for you and I today is, so what do we do as citizens of his kingdom from now until the time he returns. I think there's a temptation to make our little Christian bubble. We're just going to hang out with Christians. We're going to keep our kids home. Just let them hang around with Christians. We're just going to be safe. We're going to play it safe until God calls us home. In other words, we're going to be flavorless, and we're going to hide our light. See, the problem is the, the world is rotting, and it is a dark place to live. But here's the great, exciting news. The king has a plan. He has a solution to the problem, and the solution can be summed up in one word, you. You, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. We are the answer to the problem of darkness in the world. And we're the, we're the solution to the problem because we carry the good news of Jesus Christ. Did you notice that he did not say the government is the salt of the earth? The government is the light of the world. But I think a lot of people inside and outside the church think that that is the function of the government. To make life better and to solve our problems. Which, if you think about it, is kind of comical, right? Because the government being kind of of the world, it is part of the problem. It's not part of the solution. It's not the solution. Speaking of the government... We have a new president. One made his way out of the White House. One made his way into the White House. So I've got a question for you, and this is not rhetorical. I want a response back, okay? So given all the political, you know, tension, whatever you want to call it, there are people marching, you know, this weekend. How can you, in a very practical way, how can we be the salt and the light in our world? Legitimate question. 
Marcus. Absolutely. Thank you, Marcus. Very good. First Timothy one verses one and two. Praise for those in authority. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Kevin. Show compassion. For who and explain that some. Yeah, man, because um, I got to tell you, you know, like just seeing the responses of people. Ramsey, go ahead, man. Yeah, do you know? Uh, I was going to say uh, <clears throat> be informed, like don't mm -hmm. disconnect, like really know what's going on so that when things go, go away that, that you might not think uh, is according to like what should happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Because, you know, this past week, and even just going back for that, but I'll just share for this past week, like, it's been a little disheartening to see the reaction of Christians towards the change. You know, I mean, especially some of the, just the hatred, I'm going to say hatred, being spewed towards President Obama as he was leaving office. From people who claim the name of Christ. I mean, just ugly, rude, spiteful comments. And I got to, you know, like, I, it, it really, it's a little disheartening. But I have, like, and I have to just, because I, I think to myself, I'm like, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like to raise two teenage daughters at the same time while being president of the United States. You know, like, you think any role you have is hard? Oh, man, it's so hard to be a college student on campus these days. This class, is, this professor, I just can't do this anymore. You think your job is hard? Sometimes I do. But with all that's been going on, you know, in our country politically, I go, man, you know what? Like, how much weight must there be on the president of the United States? States. Have we forgotten this is a just a man? He's a husband, a father, who I believe served our nation the, in the best way he thought he should. And, and likewise, I don't get the the just the negativity towards Donald Trump as president. Like, there are people who genuinely want to see him fail. I think just so out of pride, they could go, see, I told you so. <laughs> Listen, I told you all before, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I did not vote for Hillary Clinton. I wrote in a candidate I knew would not win. But So I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm independent. I'm not a fan of, of either. But I just don't understand how people who claim the name of Christ can just be so spiteful towards 
political leaders. Actually, I do get it because, and I'm, I'm grateful for people who are passionate about politics. I really am because I wish Christians would, be, would get a little more involved in, in politics. But just the, the, the hatred that gets spewed, that is not being salt and light. It's not. It, it contributes to the darkness, I believe. So here's what we need to understand if we're going to be salt and light in the political arena. That before we are citizens of the United States of America, we are citizens of God's kingdom. And as a result of that, our loyalties lie first and foremost to God and his kingdom. And far beneath that is our loyalty to our nation. We, I think we have confused nationalism with Christianity. And so, thank you guys for responding. And so I think to, if we want to just have a, a heart that, is, that just produces light, that just shines a light for the world to see, the truths that you guys have shared, like that's it. We need to pray for our leaders, not just for a particular party that we favor. We need to understand that we might be confused as to why, Lord, would you allow whoever you fill in the blank to be president? Like, I don't understand that, God. But you know what? You don't have to understand that. What you have to know, thank you, Marcus, is that no one is in authority unless God put them there. Not the president, not your boss, not your professor. Not the person who runs your dorm. All authority is from above. And, and as citizens of God's kingdom, we need to be obedient to authority here on earth. So, the government is not the solution to the problem of a dark and rotting world. The king's answer to the problem is you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And here's what's so great. That's not by accident that you and I are the solution to the problem. That's plan A. Like, God didn't go, oh man, I didn't expect that to happen. Well, now let me see what I can do to fix this problem. No. Um... Here we go, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Because did you catch how we're to be salt and light? Look at verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Remember how I asked you earlier, would you, would you like... Be friends with my friends who are Patriot fans. And, and thank you, because almost all of you raised your hand and said, yes, you would, even though we know how difficult and obnoxious Patriot fans can be. More reason to root for the Steelers tomorrow. But here's the deal. I'm just a pastor. And that's something as insignificant as football. But this, this is not a pastor, but the king of the universe, speaking about something way more important than football. 
He's speaking about the souls of people that have been brought into your path. So I hope that that really resonates with us, that God's plan from the beginning was that we would do good work so people would not praise us but would go, wow, why do you do that? You know, we're to have a, the message in this passage is that we're to have an influence on the people in our world, in our sphere of influence. We're to have an impact there. Which begs the question, each one of us, we need to self-reflect. Man, if the Lord called me home today, who would notice? Who would mourn and weep if that happened? Outside of your family, because, you know, family, that's just kind of, we're going, I know not all families going to mourn and weep if you or I were to leave the earth, but let's just assume that most will, right? So outside of your family, who would actually just be brokenhearted if you were not here anymore? Here's the great thing. At Alamo Stone, I could pick on a number of and go, I got a long list of people, right? People whose lives would be different if you left because they're different because you're there. Right? You've had an impact and influence on their lives. And so if you weren't here anymore, that would be felt. Man, I think of the Cronenbergers, Jody and Emily, who have an open door on their, on their house. They welcome in, y'all did a great job as parents. They welcome in anyone into their home. Many of you, co-workers, neighbors, just to love on them, to shine the light on them. I think about the Devereaux who are getting ready to start foster care. Man, being foster parents, that is challenging work. But that's what they're going to do. I think about the Koreas, Ross and Veronica, who so transparently live life for others to see. And it's just so encouraging and refreshing to see people who are just so humble, you know? I think about the wards who have such an amazing impact on the college campus. And I think about our college students who have been or might be going to East Asia or wherever else the Lord might send you, in addition to having an impact and shining your light on campus. Because talk about a dark place. So, one of, one of the wonderful things about Alamo Stone is that you are light and salt. So that's our function, right? So that's, that's the message. We're to, we're to function just as salt has a function, just as light has a function. So that is our function, is to influence people with the good news of Jesus Christ. What's so great is as a church, collectively, we also have that same purpose and function. To be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So what I'm so excited about for Alamo Stone as we move forward into 2017 is that we have, we're, we're going to provide opportunities for all of us to do that together. So if you weren't here towards the end of last year, we had a little meeting and we shared this. So we're really going to kind of narrow in on four areas of ministry. So I'm going to share those with you and I want you to just be praying that God will work in your heart to see where you might fit in. One, just spoke about it, our partnership with Crew. Right? So not just Crew on campus, but Crew City. We want to shine the light 
for college students and in other areas of San Antonio. Puerto Rico missions. We've decided we're going to actually take this year off not going, but we're going to use this year to strategize and plan not just for 2018, but for 2018 and beyond. Our re-engage marriage ministry, which has already launched, and I'm excited. I think we have nine couples that are going to, that are already like just doing life together, you know, and, and I'm excited because I know that God will not only work on, on us, because my wife and I are in it, and you know, how to, how to apply the gospel to everyday married life, but then how to use that as a light to shine, because if there's anything that's kind of dark and broken and rotting in our world today, it's, it's marriages, you know? And then the, the fourth, and certainly not the, the last, not the least, um, Imago Dei, which is Latin for image of God. That is our local compassion ministry that Dave Borsky is heading up. And that primarily consists of two, two ministries. Crescent Project, which Rudy is full-time on staff, and that is to reach the Muslim community with the good news. So if you're a lady here, you saw the announcement earlier if you were here on time. Carla and my wife are going to the Without Borders conference next month. So see one of them, or you could probably see Rudy if you want to know how to, how to get registered and go. If you want to learn how to be light to the Muslim community, that's what they're going to teach you there. And then partnering with the foster agency. Ramsey, Jessica, what's the name of the agency? Is it four kids? Four kids, yeah. four kids, right? And so... Okay, thank you. Four kids. There we go. And so I'm excited because we, we have, we're going to have several opportunities to get plugged in. And what really excites me about that, obviously, because you guys know Plar and I are, are in the, uh, we're fostering or not right at the moment, but we're going to have some more kids here soon. And so I know, like you guys have shown just how much you will pour into and love on kids who are just in a bad spot in life. You know, so here's some opportunities we're going to have. Uh, in August, backpacks for day one of school. We're going to provide a bunch of backpacks, all right? Um, we're planning to offer a VBS this summer just for kids in the foster care program. So look, we need, we need someone, I think, to lead that effort to, you know, recruit volunteers. We're going to need teachers and assistants and just people to come love on some kids, man. So that's a great opportunity for us. Um, and then we're going to offer some training because you can't just, like, babysit foster kids. Like, you have to be trained to know how to do that. And so we're going to offer training so that you can not only be a babysitter, but if you also wanted to offer respite care. So as a babysitter, um, you have a certain number of hours you could, you could watch the kids. But if you want to like have them for a weekend or longer than that, um, it's called respite care. So you're, you're giving the family a little, little break from having foster kids. And, uh, you know, that's just a great way not just to bless the foster kids, but to be a tremendous blessing to foster parents like Jessica and Ramsey. So um, we've got... Uh, just some great, exciting uh, ways that we are going to offer as a church body to be salt and light to a dark, rotting world. That's our purpose and our function as the church of Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do is stop talking. And I'm, and I, you know, I always say we're family, right? So I love that, that, you know, and and I get a little nervous, I'll be honest, when I talk politics or even sports, right? Because people are very passionate, you know, about those two things. And so, um, you know, what I, what I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ in the local church is that if you look at us like we're really diverse by race, by age, by 
socioeconomic status, like however you can dice us, like we can be diced. Politically, certainly. But we're united by our faith in God. We're united because we're citizens of the kingdom. And that trumps everything else. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to have a little prayer time. In, in just in groups, you, if you want to get up and move and there's someone in particular you want to pray with, that's cool. Um, but I've got some, just some bullet points on the slide that you can, you can be praying about. We need to be praying for, not just for Donald Trump, but for other leaders, not just in America, but globally. It's commanded by Scripture. We need to pray for the Hall family. Y'all know Tracy and, and Kyle. Tracy plays the keyboard, a piano. Kyle plays the bass. So Kyle is going to be in this stretch for work that just started yesterday. He left for Okinawa. He'll be gone for three weeks. I think he comes back for three weeks, and then he goes for three weeks, and then he comes back for three weeks, and then he goes for three weeks. So he's in, you know, so young family, got a little baby. So, man, just be praying for them. Praise for the Odafers. Um, they are now both in Maine, Kent, as you guys may know. Uh, just moved there late last year. So he's new to the job, and he slipped on ice and has a pretty serious leg injury. Kathy just moved out there to be with him. And so, but there's, there's praise in all that because um, they assured him that his job will be there for him whenever he can get back on his feet. And uh, they worked out some things just with the HR person in terms of finances to make sure that they've got some income coming in. So there was a lot of prayer going up from the Alamo Stone family and God responded. Um, so thank you guys. Um, and then if you have your, uh, the calendar that Mr. Cronenberger brought uh, the last two weeks on how to pray for the persecuted church, um, today it's praying for the church in Oman. Did I say that right? Um, and specifically that they would have more tools to use to communicate the gospel to uh, the people there. And then just for us, man, that we would, as a church body, that we would be salt and light to a dark world. So have some time. If you sit with people you don't know, please introduce yourself, shake hands, whatever, give hugs, and uh, just have, let's take maybe uh, seven, eight minutes to just have some prayer time, okay?